Isaiah 55 is where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah 55. So we're going to read our text. If you're using one of our Bibles, which are located on these black tables around the room, um, page 513. If you forgot your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, feel free, get up, grab one of those Bibles. It's totally cool. It's not weird. Um, But Isaiah 55, first few verses is where we're going to be together this morning. And I just want to start out just by by reading our text, Um, just by reading our text this morning. Isaiah 55, first... First three verses, I think, is where we're going to is where we're going to end. Isaiah fifty-five, starting in verse one, it says, "Come, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat." Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear, come to me and listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. And so last week, we wrapped up, our, uh, wrapped up our series in Ephesians. And this gives us a couple of weeks. So if you've got a lot of time on your hand, you can go back and catch up on Ephesians with us. But we're going to start our fall teaching series in a couple of weeks, which gives us uh, just a little bit of a gap, kind of these weeks in between. And we actually plan these on purpose because it gives us a little bit of freedom, whoever's teaching that week, to just spend some time kind of discerning and praying and just kind of following wherever, wherever they feel like God is, is leading them. And so just during my times of prayer uh, this week, during my times of worship uh, this week, I just kept being led to this idea of thirst. Just kept being led to this idea of thirsting, of longing, and it wasn't because I was dehydrated, I don't think. This idea of thirsting and longing, I don't know if anybody in this room may be able to relate to this. Are there any runners in the room? Anybody who runs? Anybody who runs? Smart group of people, really smart. Okay, there's a few. There's a few. I love it. So I personally don't understand this. I don't get this because when you have the choice to run or not, I don't know why you would. But anyway... Uh, imagine yourself like running one of those like really long distances. Say you're training for a marathon. I imagine this is true. Those really long runs where you come back and there is nothing better than like a glass of water. You're thirsty, you're parched, you're sweaty, and there is nothing you want more than, than that like cold glass of water. I don't relate to this personally, but I do play basketball from time to time. And, uh, I was playing basketball with some, uh, some just guys in my neighborhood, and it was not this past week, so it was the week before. It was like the heat index was 95 degrees, and we were playing outside, and I don't really know why we did this, uh, but I was to a point, in all honesty, where I thought I might not be standing up here ever again. Like, I was to the point of, of on the brink of, of death, and I found myself wanting water more than anything. It has never, ever tasted so good. I actually want to invite you to kind of use your imagination with me this morning. Uh, I invite you to use your imagination with me. You can close your eyes if you want, however, however you best use your imagination. And I want you to picture a scene with me. 
Picture a scene of a desert. It's a desert-like scene, and in this desert-like scene is somebody running. You can close your eyes, you can open your eyes however you want. You picture this person running, and they're running in this desert-like scene, and they've been running for a while. So imagine this person tired, exhausted, sweating. They've clearly been running for a pretty long time. And they're to the point of just the brink of exhaustion. And now right beside them, right beside them is this stream of water. So use your imagination. Right beside them is this stream of water. And this stream of water is crystal clear. It's appetizing. It's cold. And what happens next in this scenario? Like what happens next in this scenario? I think what I would imagine would happen was this person running to the point of exhaustion would drink from the stream, right? But using your imagination, I want you to imagine this person keeps running and keeps going, more tired, more exhausted, and they never access the stream of water that was right there beside them the entire time. And I was just imagining this this week, just kind of imagining this scenario that I just shared with you in my mind. And I realized quickly, I think God was just kind of speaking into my heart, that this is me far too often, obviously not in the running sense, but spiritually. And I could be wrong. I might be wrong, but I, but I imagine you maybe have felt this yourself in the spiritual sense, in the, in the life sense, this place where you are longing. You are in desperate, desperate need of a drink of water. And so I began to reflect. I just kind of began to reflect on how often my soul just thirsts for something more. I'm just going to invite you to kind of reflect right now. How, how often does your soul just kind of thirst for something more? Something more in life where you find yourself kind of, oh, there's, there's got to be something more, right? And as I reflected, I realized how often how often I tend to run, run to the waterfalls of the world. The waterfalls that the world has to offer only to figure out that it was just a mirage. Only to figure out that that thing or that experience, that thing or that experience didn't quite satisfy. It didn't quite quench your thirst like you thought it would. And here, here's the truth that I've known, but it kind of hit me in a fresh way this week. Hit me in a just real fresh way. It is God alone. It is God alone who can quench the thirst of humanity. Because here's the reality. We were created from God. We were created by God. We were created for God. And I think at the core of our being, at the core of our insides, is this vacuum, is this void that only God himself can fill. So this morning, we're going to look at this incredible invitation from God to all of humanity. This amazing invitation from God to you, to me, to every single person that will ever walk on the face of this earth. An incredible, magnificent invitation from God. Let's read it again. Isaiah 55. It says, Come, 
all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight. You will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My faithful love promised to David. And so the way that we're going to look at this just incredible invitation from God this morning is by looking at three questions. I want us to look at one, who is invited? Like who is invited, number one. Number two, where are we invited? Where does this invitation lead to? And three, how is it that we accept the invitation that is offered to us? How do you accept the invitation? But before we jump into kind of answering these three questions, I want us to understand just the beauty of Isaiah the book itself, who Isaiah was, when this was written, why it was written, and not just for the sake of knowledge, because it's going to give us incredible, amazing insight into into Jesus in the present day. So I want to kind of trace back a little bit. I hate I'm not able to unpack Isaiah over a long teaching series. I just got one week, but I want to give us just a, a brief insight into Isaiah itself. So he was a Jewish prophet. He was a Jewish prophet that lived through four kings. Four kings about 2,700 years ago. And so when you live through four kings, you see a lot. You experience a lot. The prophets, they kind of had three main purposes. They were to, to hear messages from God. They were to deliver those messages to the people. And then they were to lead people into heartfelt worship of God. To receive messages from God to deliver messages to the people and to lead those people into heartfelt worship of God. And when you go back and you read all of the prophets, you can kind of see that each of them kind of had a unique perspective or or a unique message that they had to the people. There's this kind of general theme that comes about when you start to look at the different prophets, each one having uh, just a different theme or thing that they were commuting to, communicating to the people. In Isaiah, and I love Isaiah. We're naming our son Isaiah, so that's kind of cool. I love Isaiah and what he does. Isaiah actually means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And it's Isaiah, it's Isaiah that announces God's surprising plan for grace into the world. It's Isaiah that announces God's surprising plan for his glory into the world. And so 700 years before Jesus ever arrives on the scene, here on earth, Isaiah is declaring that he is coming. 700 years beforehand. This was blowing me away this week. And in fact, before we jump into Isaiah 55, we kind of have to understand what happened the previous, previous couple of chapters. So back in Isaiah 53, Isaiah, this prophet, he is describing in great detail, 700 years ahead of time, that Jesus would come to this earth, that he would die for our sins, that he would raise again to life, 700 years beforehand. Let's look at Isaiah 53, four through six. You don't have to jump there. You can close your eyes and listen if you want. Isaiah 53, four through six. And this is, this is the amazing great exchange. So surely, Listen to this. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, this is Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace on us was on him. The punishment that brought peace for us was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the imperfection, the brokenness, the sin for every single one of this. It's the great exchange. Christ in our place, taking on the sins of himself. Let's look. He goes into farther detail. Verse 8. Verse 8. Let's look at the death of Christ. It says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Christ died. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus Christ was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. So he didn't die for his own sin. He died for the sins of those who love and follow. He died for the sins of you and for me. Let's look at his resurrection in verse 12. His resurrection, verse 12. Therefore I, this is God the Father speaking, therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He's talking about the resurrection here. I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life. Christ poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. He carried the weight of sin for all and made intercession for every single person. So death was not the end of Christ, right? He bore the sins of many. And then God honored him with the spoils of victory over sin and over death. He is now alive he is now reigning in heaven until he comes back for us all. So in chapter 53, Isaiah, he sees the redeeming work of Christ, the redeeming work of Jesus 700 years in the future. And then you have Isaiah 54. We're not going to go into detail here, but Isaiah 54 goes on beautifully to talk about the blessings that result the blessings that resu result from the redeeming work of Christ. So here we have Christ's work, the blessing, and then we arrive at Isaiah 55, and this is amazing, incredible, fantastic invitation to all of humanity to live into the blessing that Jesus died for us to live into. And so I want to start answering these questions. Isaiah 55, who is invited? Who is invited? And I think he begins to answer this in verse 1. He says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, right? You who have no money, come, buy, eat. All who are thirsty and have no money. You're thirsty and you're broke. The first kind of person that God invites to come join 
to come join him is thirsty people who have no possible way of paying for it. Two things, you're thirsty and you can't pay. And some of you, you come in here this morning and there is this thirst in your heart. Your heart kind of feels like this dry grass in my front yard. It hasn't rained in a while. A lot of hopes have dried up. A lot of dreams, they've waited and they've died. And you've hit those dead end streets over and over and over and over again. You find yourself empty, you find yourself unfulfilled, you find yourself just kind of dissatisfied with where you're at and the condition of your heart. And right now, everything kind of looks out of reach, or at least anything good looks out of reach. You have no money, you have no strength, you have no motivation, but at least there's this thirst, there's this this tiny bit of thirst that's inside of you. There's this thirst inside of you for something more. You're desperate. You're just desperate for something that's going to give you life. And God is telling you this morning, hey, you are in perfect position. You are in the perfect position. You are the perfect candidate to come and have a seat at my table, to come and have a seat at the feast that I've been preparing for you. That's the first kind of person. But you know what's interesting? There's a second type of kind of broke and thirsty person here. Verse 2, it says, Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why do you spend your money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? But wait, he just got done saying you're broke and you have no money. And I'm so thankful God continues this invitation here. Because if you didn't find yourself kind of identifying with that first type of person, I think if you're being honest with yourself, you're, you're able to identify with this second type of person who's thirsty and broke, but your self-sufficiency might be hiding the fact that you're broke and you're thirsty inside. Because the th- first person's thirsty and they know it, no doubt about it. There's no resources to hide behind, right? The second person's thirsty, but they have the the resources to kind of temporarily um, hide behind or uh, to temporarily uh, fix that thirst which is welling up inside of them. But what's the result? What's the result? I know I've experienced it, experienced it this week. Frustration, disappointment, See, they're not like the other person at the end of their ropes willing to do anything. They're still spending, they're still working, still dreaming, still chasing, still experimenting. It's a different job, it's a different city, it's a different car, it's a different house. Dreaming, chasing. It's a new computer, it's a new boat, it's a new bike, it's a new diet, it's new looks. But what's the reality? What do you get to every time at the end that you're chasing these things? You figure out there's no fountain of youth. Every triumph you had kind of peters out. The applause, no matter how much or how little there was, just kind of fades. 
The boat eventually becomes boring. The style passes. And everything that was once new becomes old, right? And the options, they get fewer and they get fewer and they get fewer. And I think when I'm honest with myself, when you're honest with yourself, there's this, there's this canyon of need. There's this canyon of longing inside of you, no matter how self-sufficient you may seem on the outside. This is the same for all of us, no matter which person you find yourself identifying with. And for the record, I kind of find myself identifying with both, depending upon where I'm at. It's what I mentioned at the beginning. I think we all find ourselves here. We're created from God, created for God. And there is this emptiness inside that only God himself can fill. And so who is invited? All you who are thirsty, all you who are broke, those of you that know it and those of you that don't. But where are we invited? Number two, we look at number one, who? But number two, where are we invited? And Isaiah, he kind of answers this question by giving us an image, this just image that points to a deeper spiritual reality. It's what Douglas talked about when he talked about spiritual armor. There's this image that we're given that actually reveals to us a deeper spiritual truth. What's this image that we're giving here in Isaiah? Where do you eat and where do you drink? At the dinner table, right? At the dinner table. And God, he's given us this image of a feast. What does Isaiah mention? What has he, he talked about at this feast? He's talked about water. He's talked about milk. He's talked about wine. And I don't think it's by accident that he mentions these things. I mean, God is pretty intentional, right? So I don't think it's by accident that he, he names these things here present at the banquet table of God. So let's look at these kind of one by one and, and kind of what they mean for us. The first one's water. He says, come to the waters. And when do you need water? When you're parched, when you're tired, when you're desperate, when you're dehydrated. It's water that you want more than anything in this condition. And I think water kind of corresponds with the need for refreshment, kind of corresponds with this need for refreshment in our life. What's the psalmist say? He says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul or he refreshes my soul. So I think God is inviting us to receive refreshment, to receive reviving, to receive this restoration in our hearts. Then you got milk. And I think milk kind of corresponds with this ongoing need for nourishment. So someone grasping for life, you give them water, right? But when someone needs to grow, when someone needs to mature, it's, it's milk. It's milk that you give to a kid that needs to grow and grow strong. And so God, he's not just, he's not just there for the mountain peak moments. He's not just there for the moments of desperation. He's not just there when you're at the mountain or when you're in the valley. God's there as a constant throughout. He's in it for the long haul. And so he invites you not only to come alive with this, with this water, but also to be stable and strong with this milk and wine. I think wine corresponds to this need for exhilaration. Water, we want to live, not die. Milk, we want to be strong, not weak. 
But that's not all you need in life. I don't think that's how God created us to be. Some of you know this. Some of you know the joy in the life that, that comes with God. Some of you, no matter how stoic or unemotional or laid back you may seem to others, there is this childlike spirit inside all of us. Everyone needs this exhilaration to experience this exhilarating life that comes with God. To dance, to sing, to play, to laugh, to joke, to shout. There's this water, there's this milk, there's this wine. But I also want to point out, this is not leftovers. Did you notice that? Like, this isn't like Thanksgiving meal, like the next day for lunch. I want to look at the quality and the quantity of what is available at the banquet table of God. We're not talking like end of the month grocery shopping at Aldi. No, we're talking like beginning of the month, whole foods, no hold back. He says, eat what is good. Eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. You will delight in the richest affair. Now, we don't really use this language much. Ah, the food, the richest affair. No, like we don't really use that kind of language. But what he's trying to say is we're talking about the best drink and the best food at the best party. And guess what? It's never ending. He never runs out as much as you want, whenever you want. The quality and the quantity of what is available in God, we, we can't even fathom it. It sounds good, right? Sounds good, like almost too good to be true. And what Isaiah is doing is he's given us this image that points to a spiritual reality of the life that we have available in God. And in verse three, is what the reality behind this image is. Verse three, he says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Okay, in verse one, he said, come to the waters. Come to the wine and the milk. In verse three, he says, come to me. He says, come to me. Things change. He's letting us know, hey, God is our living water. God himself is our nourishing milk. God himself is our intoxicating wine. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, I'm making a covenant with you. And this is huge. Like, this is important for us to grasp. This is important for us to understand. He's making a promise with us. He's making a promise with you, the same promise that he gave David in 2 Samuel. And what is this promise when you go back and look? It is a steadfast, sure love. His steadfast, sure love. This means that when you come to God, when you give your life to God, he is making an unbreakable, unshaking oath with you. He says, I'm going to pursue you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life. His love with you is never ending. It's never forsaking. There is nowhere you can run that the love of God will not find you. This is the covenant that he's making with you. And I can tell you, there is nothing better. There is nothing more freeing. 
There is nothing more satisfying than the never-ending love of God. Where is this promise for us? Where is this promise for you and me? It is in the life, it is in the death, and it is in the resurrection of Jesus. Which kind of brings us to this third question. Okay, how do we accept the invitation? And I want to look at Jesus' words 700 years later in the Gospel of John. Listen to this. Close your eyes and listen to this. This is amazing. Let's look at the answer from Jesus. Jesus answered, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And he's at a well with a woman. He says, everyone who drinks the water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later on, Jesus stood and in a loud voice, this is what he said, he says, let anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Come all, everyone, every person, every kind, with every story, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Whoever believes, whoever believes, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant his spirit. How do you accept the invitation? It's pretty simple. You believe and you have faith in Jesus. And you start walking with him. And you start living for him. And you start living with him. And you start following his footsteps and reading his word, and communicating, and communing. And then the more that you walk, the more that these streams of living water begin to bubble up inside of you. And so my question this morning to all of us is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you wanting to drink from the streams of living water that come in life with God. So for those of you who aren't yet followers of Jesus, I just want to invite you to come. Start drinking from the water that Jesus died for you to drink. He's saying, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. In fact, you're not perfect and you don't have it all figured out. All you got to do is come. Accept the invitation and start walking and following the one who loves you more than you will ever be able to fathom or imagine. For those of you who are already following Jesus, some of you right now are like, yeah, I am, I am drinking from those streams of living water. Keep drinking. Keep drinking from those streams because what happens is when we drink from those streams, we come to a place where it is just overflowing 
And that's where this whole thing leads. It's overflowing to the place where it's spilling out upon the people around us. And I wish we could go on in Isaiah verses 4 and 5. It just talks about how Jesus did not come just for you and for me, but for all nations, for every nation, for every person. And you know what his plan is? You know what his plan is? It's you. (laughs) It's me. It is by his grace and his mercy that he says, hey, church, Hey, church, I'm going to fill you with my spirit, so much so that you are going to be overflowing and spilling out into the world. And as the world gets to taste and see that he is good, who can only dream of of what's going to happen? In your neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, in our world. And the thing is, all we have to do is come. Say, hey, I do not have the strength. I do not have the willpower. The beauty of the gospel is that we get to just lay down our lives and say, I don't have it figured out. Will you help me? So whether you are following Jesus already or whether you've been following him for a long time, I want to invite everybody to just come to the streams of living water that Jesus is inviting us to jump into. You know, one thing I figured out this week is my tendency to be very individualistic. I think that's true for for a lot of us, where I take something like this and I make it only about me and what I can do. And I realized in a time of prayer with my coworkers that week that so, so often, I find the streams of living water bubbling up inside of me when I'm around, when I'm around you, when I'm around others. And so as we head to the table this morning, I want to encourage you to, to go with someone, to go with someone's. Because there's this thing that happens when we pray with one another and for one another. We, as a community, as we pursue and love Jesus, these streams of living water will bubble up. So I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray as we head to the table together. Our gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, Father, I would just ask that by your power and mercy, you would just create a thirst and longing inside of us for you this morning. Father, if there are things that I said that aren't of you or from you that are wrong, will you just help us forget them? God, if there is anything that was shared this morning that is from you, that pricked a heart, that stirred a heart, Father, I just ask in all all of your goodness, will you just fan that flame? Will you fan that flame that you're starting right now in the hearts of our people? Father, as we just come to this table, Jesus, as we just come to this table, may we just reflect upon the life that is available through you. Jesus, it is because of you that we're gathered. It is for you that we are gathered. Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen.